So how has it been being home and juggling everything while still trying to work full time and like having an entire army that you're responsible for? Completely overwhelming at different times of the day. I was telling my hubs, hubs, my husband, my husband last night, <laughs> it's like, I don't get to turn off. I am constantly moving from the second I wake up until almost nine 30 at night. Cause I found myself getting upset at nine 30. Like, why aren't the kids to bed yet? Because now the only time I have to be by myself or lay down is after nine 30. And I need to go to bed by 10 30. Cause my baby's going to get me up all night. And then I have to get up at six 30 to start working again before they get up again. Um, same. I don't think there is an off button in this process. I was telling uh, my husband, Mark, that it's either, you know, he's with Dublin from sunrise to sunset and I'm trapped in my office trying to work. And then the family reunites and we just look at each other like, when does it end? Yeah. And that's the thing too. It's like, cause then my older kids are in what my son is in kindergarten, which they still have daily zoom calls. So then I'm trying to make sure he's listening to his teacher. And then I'm trying to get my preschooler on a zoom call with her class while on conference calls myself. And it's a lot. Although I will say like a lot of the conference calls I've been on and I guarantee this has happened to you. You hear their kids in the background, their dogs in the background, their kids are asking them for a snack or their kids are getting on the phone and saying hi to you or they're in their bathroom. I mean, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Or the dog walks by or someone walks into the zoom call or, you know, it, it, it it's just the way that life is right now. I know a lot of people trying to record shows are like, sorry, the guy's mowing the lawn next door. That's what you get. You know? Oh, for sure. And that's what happened to me last week. I was recording this podcast and I was trying to hold a sleeping baby. So she wakes up and starts just like gooing and guying, which was cute. But then my son gets in trouble. So then I have to like, stop, go yell at him, come back. And they go, that's fine. I did see something. It was like the invisible load of motherhood working from home during COVID. It's like trouble saying focused on work, feeling guilty for not keeping up more stress because of reduced capacity breaks consist of quote unquote, momming, um, pulled in different directions, prioritizing everyone else while your work accumulates, trying to stay sane, no concrete start or end, constantly switching roles, keeping kids quiet, meeting emotional needs. I was like, I have been seen. <laughs> you're like they know the struggle is so real oh my god it it really is and um i read something of course while i was prepping one of my shows because i do my shows from my closet in the basement that's the only place i'm by myself in the entire house every day <laughs> which is where i'm at right now um is it 11 54 a.m is the most stressful time I don't know why. Why is that is that like because it's like the it's like a pre-lunch you know is that like a shift in the day, you know, like, oh, my God, we survived the morning, but, oh, my gosh, I've got to make lunch. But then there's another half of a day to do. I guess so. Anyway, that's what it was basically saying. Yeah, you've got your 1154 is the most stressful. And then people felt like they were basically on until about 830. And I was like, that actually is pretty spot on to exactly how I feel most of the time. Wow. I, I, I don't know. I think all everything is stressful at different points. And I mean, I, listen, I only have one tiny human and he has so many moods. I can't imagine three and three times all the different moods and trying to like navigate those waters 
that feels super overwhelming just thinking about it, not even doing it. And you're doing it every day. I, it's wild. I, I should say that I am very blessed because of the fact of my living situation that my parents are here. So my mom really does help me. So she has the baby right now. Um, and she's been helping a lot with this schooling during the day. But then her and I tag team the baby a lot too. And the other kids, and I want to make sure I'm obviously hanging out with them too. So, I mean, I'm blessed to have some help because it helps me balance yeah. things a little bit better, but it's still constant because I'm still breastfeeding. So, I mean, like the baby still a hundred percent needs me at certain points in every day. And I have to like turn off my, the camera on my zoom call so I can whip my boob out. I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> uh, or you forget to turn the camera off on your zoom call and you're like hey everybody hello entire company <laughs> i actually almost did that the one day i was we were in a, like a company zoom call and my daughter was sleeping and but she was nursing prior to that and then when she woke up during the zoom call like i was like one inch away from flash and everybody on my entire company <laughs> which is good, which is very good. You know, I just realized I never stopped to actually, you and I just went right into it. You actually started interviewing me, which I like. Um, this is my friend, Aaron Gellert. And Aaron Gellert is in, I will say we're in sister industries. I'm in the radio side. She is in the music industry, the record labels. I met you back in 2006 when I was an intern. I had no idea how this industry worked. And record labels come to Louisville actually all the time. And I don't think people realize that. And they talk about their artists and new music coming up. And Aaron was one of the first people that looked at me not as like this kid intern, but like a person that was getting their start in the industry. And I believe at the time when I met you, you worked for Epic Records. I did. Yeah, I did. I worked for Epic Records. Um, I had just moved to Cleveland, Ohio, um, a place I never thought I'd live. Still here. Hey. Um, but yeah, Epic. And I was coming to meet everybody and I met you. I love that. So w describe what your job. I don't think most people understand the record label industry. All they know is like, oh, this artist is on this label. If they even know that, I think they just know it exists. But what well, was your job versus who you are now? <laughs> well, you know, back then I worked for a record label, as you, as you mentioned, Epic Records. And my I thought I was seeing a lot of the music industry. You know, my job was to make relationships with radio stations and radio programmers. You know, I always joked that programmers seemed to be like the wizard behind the curtain. Uh -huh. You know, you never think music being played on the radio is a business, but it's a huge business and a very competitive business. Very. Um, yeah. And so I, you know, at that point in my career, I was just, you know, just getting going in what we call, you know, promotion, radio promotions. And I just needed to meet people to try to expose them to music that I thought might interest their audience. And um, I thought I was really getting a perspective of what the music industry is at the time and it wasn't until I was subjected to what happens in this business all the time which are layoffs oh, yeah. that you know especially now with what's happening in the world um, you know back then Sony went through just another round of layoffs and I was on the list and I got laid off and uh, about six weeks later I'd been at, I had been in the field for about three and a half years um, at that time six weeks later I found myself at Q Prime Management and so that evolution of being just um, at a record label and, and focused on what I thought was the business to coming to a management company, doing a very similar job, but with such greater perspective. So it's been a really interesting, it's been a, a learning process, teaching process for myself.
when you think what you're doing, you know what I mean? So not that I want to focus on this at all, but you do have a cool factor about you. And that is one of, I would call it one of, we'll, we'll assume for people that they think this is the glamorous side. <laughs> You've had the opportunity to be around a lot of big names in the music industry. Yeah. Who are some, like, yeah. who are some of your current artists that are with you with Q Prime? So Q Prime manages an incredible roster of artists. I mean, the, the fun thing is, is that I get to be a fan first. Um, you know, since I'm in Cleveland, we have a two-piece Cleveland rock band called the Black Keys mm. that um, started in Akron, who are amazing. But, you know, Q Prime is also built on some very big names, and one we still manage is Metallica. We also have the Red Hot Chili Peppers, Muse, Cage the Elephant, oh, yeah. Kentucky Boys. Yeah. Um, and and a variety of different artists and bands between alternative rock uh, and AAA Americana, the uh, music formats like that. So, I when I was at Epic, I was working more um, pop music. Like Sarah Bowles um, with you was yes, yeah, Sarah. God, I love Sarah. I love Sarah Bowles. <laughs> she is she's just such an incredible human, and I I, I have such a funny. Louisville Sarah Bareilles story that will forever be in my life because I almost messed up my own marriage proposal. <laughs> um, and, and, uh, and I had bet I was with, so I had to tell the story cause it's great. And it's, it's Louisville. And anyway, so I was on the road in my, I always call it my previous life it, at back at Epic records. We were on a promo tour and we're setting up a song to radio called love song from a little unknown artist at the time named Sarah Bareilles. And when we do a promo tour, as you know, Sarah, like you were going to see multiple radio stations a day, sometimes doing events, trying to get radio listeners to meet these artists yeah. and they connect. And, you know, and it's always so fun in the beginning because it's a very humbling experience, but you also get to see a song become something. And so I'm on this promo tour. I've been on this promo tour with Sarah Bareilles and I want to say it was our last day and we were ending in Louisville and she was going probably down to Nashville and I was going to go home to Cleveland. And it was a funny night. I feel like it was a Tuesday. I don't know if that makes any sense or is real life, but fourth street was dead. And we had done a whole day of promo and we decided to go to forest street and I don't even know what bar it was because it was so very long. I was going to say, it's probably changed since then anyway. <laughs> yeah, it's probably been three places. But we were a little overserved, and there may have been a little bit of dancing on the bars and singing at the top of our lungs. <laughs> and I'm telling you, it was still very early. Wait, where's Sarah Morales? Well, yeah, it's Sarah and I. <laughs> and um, so we decided to call, the at the time, my boyfriend – who had, I'd only been dating for six months. Um, sorry about that. I'm going to turn that, turn, let me turn that off. Um, so I decided to call my boyfriend, who I'd only been dating for like six months, um, and just, you know, playfully ask him when he was going to propose. So Sarah takes the phone and starts just berating my now husband. When are you going to propose to this girl? She's so great. Well, the irony of that, is that he bought the ring that day. <gasps> and so we had no idea. And we were, like I said, a little overserved. And she's yelling at him. And 
I, he told her on the phone, like, hey, I actually bought the ring. So just like, hang up. <laughs> and, uh, and we ended up getting engaged like a couple weeks after that. Um, but it is such a weird, funny story because when you're trying in the beginning of breaking an artist, when they're nervous to be out in the world and you're nervous to be in a van, you know, with them and their tour manager and, and maybe their guitar player and, you know, you're human beings and you're just working so hard all day and you have a few too many. So you decide to, you know, make a phone call that will forever be in the history books of my marriage. <laughs> See, this is what I love so much. And I think this is one of the things that people don't realize. First of all, the reason why she, Aaron even knows Fourth street live and Louisville, and she even pronounces it correctly is you spend so much time out on the road. You were oh, yeah. so hard to get these artists names out there if they're a new artist if it's an artist like metallica red hot chili peppers you have a region you're expected to be at their shows managing the band with them being there working with the radio stations i mean you spend so much of your time on the road i mean this is right now the longest period of time since i've set foot in the state of ohio that i've been in one place and i've been home since obviously the beginning of march and I've never been somewhere this long since working in the music business. And it's very tough for me because I feel like I have a very nomadic lifestyle and big part of my personality is going out and, and seeing the people that I initially met at radio stations like you um, and radio programmers and stuff like that, that become friends and they become this extended family and you raise kids together, you go to weddings, you go to divorce parties, you go to promotion parties. I mean, you, I, this, this is a business, but it's such a, it's such a lifestyle. And for me, I, up until um, the beginning of March, I am always coming and going. And even with having an, a three-year-old, it's, that hasn't changed. That's just part of my job. It's, you know, it's like being a mom everywhere in a weird Sort of the, and that's the thing. It's like it, it's a job still. It's a business. It's definitely something. Your job is just different than other people's jobs. Yet it's still work. And I think that's the part that I've always respected so much about your side of the industry and what you do. Is I know how hard you work. And honestly, one of my favorite things for on our side. I love when we can say we had an artist like Sarah Bareilles before she was anybody. I mean, the Ed Sheerans, the Justin Bieber's, the Katy Perry's all have walked through our doors, the script. Um, and at the, Oh, that's another one of my babies. I remember. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I remember when you brought you know, break even. Um, you know, it, it's so funny because I, I've been uh, joking a lot lately that my sense of time is so warped. Because when you leave and, and when you come and go so much, it, it's a pattern, right? It's a it's a behavior. So you're not realizing the days of the week or how long you're gone for. It's always when am I coming home next? That's what you're looking forward to. But there are with Sarah, it was the pre-engagement, and with the script, breaking that band was one was such a big passion of mine. Like we started that fire in Cincinnati, Ohio, and the Midwest is usually for people that don't, you know, th that don't understand the music business, the coast, the East Coast and the West Coast usually start new music. Um, they're a little bit more adventurous. There is a little bit more uh, engaged listenership. And that tends to be the model. But with a band like The Script, it, it caught fire in the Midwest. And it was so exciting. But it was another point 
in my life where I was planning a wedding and I had just got diagnosed with thyroid cancer and I was going through that process and I will never forget being on a promo tour with the script and I had to go on a, a low iodine diet so I could get radioactive iodine treatment to kill cancer cells in my body. And I had prepared this special food <laughs> and it was basically like spaghetti with this like no salt pasta sauce that you had to make from scratch. And I was on this promo tour and it was so busy and it wasn't that hot out, but it got hot enough where the food went rancid in my trunk. Oh my God. And, and so all of a sudden I'm on this promo tour and I can't eat anything. And I'm trying to Google, what can I have? So I'm like, don't pass out from hunger. And it's like, oh, you can have grapes and you can drink red wine. And I'm like, here we go. <laughs> so I, re I just remember rancid pasta and being a little bit tipsy at some events because I, I only could eat grapes. I couldn't risk um, putting iodine into my body so I could get the treatment. And But I was also, you know, with three guys and a guitar player and a tour manager doing events you know, one after another for days. And for those two, Sarah and the script will forever hold these pillars of importance in my mind of, you know, this, th these events that I can be like, oh yeah, yeah, that band I love, but will never forget because of dot, dot. Well, and I think that's what's such a unique part about your industry is that because you're on the road so much, it's not like you just, t you punch a time clock and you're in at nine, you're out at five. That is by no means yeah. ever the way that your industry works. So you had to experience life. I mean, you, you were going through thyroid cancer. I remember you coming into Louisville because you had to get surgery, correct? Uh, I, I might've gotten an opinion, um, but I, everything I did eventually was at the Cleveland <laughs> Clinic. Which I, I just, I do remember you coming to town because you and I would go out to dinner sometimes, just the two of us when you would come in and you told us about the thyroid cancer. Now, you were going through the treatment while planning your wedding. So you hadn't gotten married yet, correct? No. Yeah, I didn't have a bachelorette party because I had to have my first surgery. And then they, um, they, your thyroid is an incredibly important part of your body. It's your mini brain. And you don't realize this until you are, you know, are faced with the task of having to lose it. And so everybody in the clinic wanted to um, just take half out because there's four types of thyroid cancer. One type you cannot see from a biopsy by a fine needle aspiration. It's called the FNA. And I had that type. So they had to go in and do my first surgery, take half out, realize it was cancer, go back in six days later and take the other half out. So I, while planning a wedding I, and working full time, traveling and all that stuff, I, uh, I had that happen. And, and so I, I missed some of the big milestones that you get to enjoy like a bachelorette party. Um, but, you know, whatever. I, to your point, I don't know. How, I, I always call this this professional lifestyle, just like yours, Sarah, like there is there is no like hours. There's no time card. There's there's expectations that just never end. But you kind of have to buy in because, you know, music is a lifestyle. Radio is a lifestyle. How could my how could I approach my job that is in a lifestyle format, not like a lifestyle gig? Well, you know? and neither of them ever sleep. 
Music doesn't turn yeah. off. The industry doesn't turn off. The radio doesn't turn off. So that's part of the biggest reason behind, you're right, it is so much more of a lifestyle. And you met Mark, and based on what you just said about the timestamps and your Sarah Barella story, so you guys had been dating about six months, seven months, before yeah. you guys got engaged. So tell me yeah. about Mark, because it takes a very special individual to even understand your lifestyle. Yeah, so... um Mark is, uh, you know, I, <laughs> everything with us is a story. Um, I had moved to Cleveland. I didn't know anybody. And so I decided to do the thing that I guess is way more accepted now because we didn't have apps when I met Mark, you know, like we didn't have like Bumble or Tinder or whatever. No, I didn't have and I went, <laughs> Yeah. I, you know, you, it, it's funny. You either hear one of two stories from me with Mark. You'll hear that I met him in a bar and that's actually true. Uh, for the first time, I met Mark in a bar on my way back from a road trip after having been on the road with Chevelle. But that's not how I met Mark. I went on eHarmony and I was like, I, I need to like meet some guys. You know, I I didn't realize I was going on like the the get married website. <laughs> I was like, I just need to meet somebody because I didn't know anybody when I moved to Cleveland. I didn't even know like a neighbor's cousin's like. Aaron, you know, acquaintance. I'm really sorry because all of my family is in Cleveland, Ohio and in Akron. And I should have just had to go hang out with my cousins. They're all your age. <laughs> well, I, uh, I, you know, it was also like I had just landed here and had no idea how to do a job that nobody trained me to do. So it, it, it wouldn't have mattered at the time because I was too overwhelmed. But, you know, looking back, that would have been nice, Sarah. Come on. I'm so sorry. <laughs> Well, I had been here like a, like a month or two and um, I just moved from Manhattan. So it was such a different vibe. Yeah. But I went on eHarmony and I filled out a bunch of questions and, you know, they sent me this guy, Mark Salesgiver, and I was like, oh, OK. And so because I travel so much, I wanted to try to talk to him on the phone or over email. And, you know, over email, it was a struggle, but we would get on the phone and he was really funny. And so when I'd come home from being on the road, we'd have these really long phone calls like nobody does anymore. And we would, at the time, it was the first season of the Rock of Love bus. And we would watch that while on the phone and just hysterically laugh. And, you know, this is this is true. And it, I'm not saying it to be mean. The, our first four dates were just the worst. I mean, I did not like him at all. <laughs> I didn't want anything to do with him, but I was bored. So I was like, I'll just keep going out. I mean, it was like textbook terrible. But, you know, on the fourth day after he left my apartment after watching Cleveland Indians game, I kind of had this like moment where I was like, is it terrible because he's terrible? Or I'm like, am I terrible? Because I want him to be all these things that he's not. And the truth of the matter is, you know, we just celebrated 11 years married, 12 and a half years together. And um, he's he's a calm sea and I'm a tornado. You know, he's a special ed teacher and I am probably a lot of things that are needed to work with special ed kids. Um, patience, kindness, empathy, understanding, um, sometimes laughing when I can just be a hot mess. But on our first date, and this is also true, I told him two things. I believe in divorce. Um, my dad married his third wife and they lived happily ever after until he passed away. And my mom, her second husband is her soulmate. And so 
I don't believe love always gets it right on the first try. So I was like, I believe in divorce. And his parents have been married 40 plus years. And he's like, what? (laughs) Um, And then the second thing I said to him was, I always want to work in the music business. And he just was like, okay. And I don't know if he knew at the time what what he was signing up for. But, you know, when I lost my gig at Epic, um, he was ready to pack up our two dogs at the time and move to New York City, a city I'd never been to. And he was like, can we keep our pets? And I was like, what? Um, He's always been down to be on my adventure. And, you know, I think the biggest um, sacrifice or understanding has come since being a parent. You know, I I leave. I come back. He stays. We have very... Uh, I'm, and I say this because I'm super fun watching Mad Men, um, in quarantine. So I feel like a 1960s housewife (laughs) right now, but we have a very like inverse relationship in this household. Um, as far as like what gender roles were, you know, considered to be, um, and it works for us. And I'm very thankful for that. I get to have the best of both worlds because of him. You know, um, my husband and I have been now together 12 years and married crazy. 10, which is crazy because you've known me longer than my husband now. Um, <laughs> but not, not by, but not by much. Not by much. We actually probably didn't met our yeah. husbands right around the same time. Um, yeah. I met him in 2008 and yeah, I can remember on our very first date, our friends hooked us up. And so we went on like a double date with them, but we had never met each other. So it was a blind date for us. And he said, what do you do for a living? And I had recorded my Saturday show and I said, that's me. That's what I do. And he said, oh, okay. And it wasn't a thing. It wasn't something where he was like either threatened by my job or just wanted to be with the cool chick on the radio that had concert tickets. Like, he immediately was just like, okay. And never once has he questioned any time that I've said, I have to work a concert. I've got to go turn on a radio station at three o'clock in the morning, or I'm flying to New York city to go do something, or I'm going out to California to do something, or I have a late dinner tonight. I need you with the kids. Not a single day in our relationship has he ever questioned my job. And I know you as a fellow female in the music industry, it takes a special type of person to handle the relationship like that because not all men for are built for a relationship like that with a woman where she's the one running around and doing all these other things and i mean obviously my husband's also employed full-time and does this, all these things but um he's never once questioned it and I mean, we we're just talking about mark it reminds me so much of how brian is and they're both they're wonderful people and i'm glad that mark has been there for you and um you brought up obviously you have a three-year-old named dublin and yeah. I can remember very specifically one time you were in the DJF studio with me talking to me and you told me that you and Mark were struggling with fertility issues. Yeah, we were. We took it. We took almost five years from when we decided to start to when we got pregnant and um, we were de- And that I, I wish that on no one, you know, there's, there is such a mental element to that that can totally ruin you and it can totally challenge your relationship because it becomes a what's not working is it me is it you is it the both of us should we be parents um and right about the time we were ready to just be like let's just be awesome aunts and uncles yeah i got pregnant and i uh, i took a pregnancy test in fort wayne indiana <laughs> 
My life is once again. My life is lived in different cities than the one I am in. And why were you in Fort Wayne? Which artist were you with? I wasn't. I was actually on the road setting up some records, and um, at that point, I think I had peed on a hundred and fifty sticks. I mean. And I, I just was like, I gotta go in. I, uh, we never did um, IVF, but we did do insemination mm-hmm. um, with all my thyroid stuff and and hormones being whacked out because I don't have a thyroid. I like drew the line at IVF. That just was not gonna. That to me was like, there, there's my, there's my limit. So you did IVF, um, but I, we had. Yes, I did IUI. Yes, so I we just done what we were gonna do, like the last round of IUI. I think it was the third round. And I was like, I should just go get a test because I just, you know, it was, it, I was so resolved to the fact that it wasn't going to work that I, I'll never forget. I walked into this um, Target in Fort Wayne, Indiana. And as I walked, you know, you walk into a Target, you don't think about things. I was hit with this wall of Old Spice and it, no one was even around me. And I was like, whoa, who has the cologne on? Give a girl a break. And then I realized, uh-oh, that, that's not normal. And so I ta- it was another Tuesday because apparently I like doing things on Tuesdays. I have a conference call on Tuesday. Tuesdays are big for you. And, uh, <laughs> Tuesdays are, Tuesday in Pittsburgh is the day I found out the gender of my baby. I see. Um, <laughs> Um, but no, I was, I, so I got a test and I, you know, I peed on a stick by myself in a Hyatt place in Fort Wayne, Indiana and found out I was pregnant and, uh, did not understand. I thought it said not pregnant cause it was digital and, you know, you see not pregnant or the downward smiley face, your frowny face or, you know, the negative. And you see that so many times that you do not expect to see a positive. And so I almost threw it away and it said positive And I was like, ah, said you know pregnant and I was like oh my god and but I'm in Fort Wayne Indiana and I can't do a damn thing about it I mean that's did you, my, my did whole you life call, is call like, Mark or did you or to tell him or did you tell, call him oh, oh I did not call Mark no I did not call Mark I oh, I could you know when you're when you take that long to try to accomplish like trying to have a baby and you know as you you have three beautiful babies right yes like you it's a, it's like it, it when you decide to have your first it's like you know your life is going to change you have no concept of how your life is going to change but you know that the stakes everything just a switch flips and everything is different we you make that decision most people tend to make that decision you know when, when they're with their partner and they're like we're doing this and there's a gravity to it and i could not could not call him and tell him the news because i had to be sure I, I was like, we're not, we haven't been struggling at this for almost five years for me to like have a false positive. So when I got back, I, I definitely stopped having wine, you know, the, the second <laughs> that test came back positive. So I had to throw a cur- few curveballs with work dinners. But when I got back that week, I went and got a blood draw with uh, the fertility doctor. And um, they finally called me at like 4.58 on a Friday. And I had a little onesie ready to give to him. <laughs> And he just, he looked at it and he was just like, what, what? And I was like, are you kidding me? We're pregnant. But um, in, in keeping with the theme of my, I live my life in different cities, you know, you have some, some um, benchmarks in your pregnancy. And I was 34 when I got pregnant. 
I was 35 when I delivered. So I was right on the the cusp of being a geriatric pregnancy, which I think is hilarious and also so rude. That's such a rude um, name. <laughs> I'm like, okay, it makes me think of the Golden Girls, which I love, but also, like, I am not a thousand. So um, when we had our first trimester screen, the nuchal exam, it didn't go right. And they were like, it's it's measuring a little big. And they freaked us out to a level I, like, I didn't think I could get to. And they're like, you want to do an amnio? You want to do the genetic testing? The amnio is 99% accurate. The genetic testing is 97% accurate. I was like, what? I was like, no, I don't want a needle in my stomach. So anyway, we get this genetic testing done to make sure we're not going to have a child that has any genetic deformities because Mark does such beautiful work with special ed kids, special need kids that we, we just were not prepared to do that at home as well. That was just, that was something that we had agreed to. And if that was the situation that we were going to, you know, have to walk down that road and make some tough decisions. But Weeks went by without answers on this genetic testing because there was this huge tornado that happened. Oh my like God. Right up the, um, yeah, right up, or no, hurricane, sorry, right up the eastern seaboard where the lab was. So weeks go by, weeks go by. Well, I don't stay in one place, as we've made pretty clear, except for COVID 19 quarantine. Um, the only thing we can make is this <laughs> Yeah, the only thing that stops me from hustling records. So I, um, I'm in Pittsburgh. And it's a Tuesday <laughs> and I have a conference call at five thirty, and then I have a dinner um, with uh, some friends, uh, John Mashita and Abby Krisner, who are two awesome people that work in radio in Pittsburgh. And it is five ten, and my phone rings and I've been waiting for this call. And I, and I, on a whim, I'm like, I think this is a lab. And when you have that genetic testing done, you know, they ease your fears by telling you about the chromosomes. Oh my God, I'm going to mess this word up. The chromosomes? Yeah, yeah. But chromosome, I can't, I'm not going to even say it. They tell you the abnormalities or if there are a lack of abnormalities, which is what you want, but they can also tell you the gender early in your pregnancy. And so this woman gets on the phone and I'm like a lunatic. I'm like, hello. And she's like, hi, it's, you know, so-and-so from the lab. I'm like, how are we doing? And she's like, everything is perfect. It's, you're totally okay. Every, all the testing came back. And she's like, do you want to know what you're having? And I said, yes. Again, I'm in another Hyatt. I'm at a Hyatt house now in Pittsburgh. And I'm like, drop the knowledge on me, lady. She's like, you're having a boy. I was like, thank you so much. I got to go. I call Mark. Mind you, now it's like 525. I got to get on this call. And I go, Mark, everything's fine. Baby's normal. We're having a boy. I'll call you back. Oh my God, that's what you did to him? Yeah. <laughs> we wanted a boy so bad. So it was like, and again, like, I know that's totally not normal and how people do things, but that's just how it is in my life. I was like, boom, boy, got it. Call you back at this conference call and after my dinner and get excited. Okay. <laughs> so I will say, um, to rewind slightly, I want to say you were probably the first person that had ever openly talked to me about fertility issues. And I remember you saying something specific on like, this is never something you think you're going to have an issue with because it's just what your body is supposed to do. And yes. when your body doesn't just do what you supposedly think it's supposed to do, it's a huge gut punch. So the fact that you and Mark got through that, and then I will comment that on two out of three of my pregnancies, I had similar freakouts with after an ultrasound where 
they thought that there was one thing in an ultrasound with my one daughter that could have been a warning sign of possible Down syndrome if it was combined with all of these other symptoms. So then I had to go to a specialist and do all these other things. And then with my most recent pregnancy for my almost six month old, they told me at one point her legs were measuring small like smaller than the rest of her measurements. And they wanted me to get, again, more ultrasounds to make sure that there wasn't something wrong with her legs. And then they just determined, oh, she's just going to be a tiny baby. Well, eight pounds, six ounces later when I had her, I was like, (laughs) what? Um, She's not tiny at all. (laughs) She was now nine months old. I'm going to tell you something. Like you, like you, you go through all of these struggles to like, um, get pregnant and you get pregnant and then they're trying to tell you something's wrong with your kid. I, I I thought I wanted to stab that doctor straight up in the neck because it it wasn't, it wasn't, it it wasn't a, he was so dramatic. And for us, our nuchal reading in the, in the U S I think they want it to be three or under. And we were measuring like 3.3 in the UK, 3.5 or less than normal. And it was, it was such a different, it it was the diff. it, It was so crazy that he made us feel so panicked and this was a specialist right and they made us feel so panicked and i and i think i mean i thank every thing i've ever believed in for my son because he is amazing and magical and the mini version of myself and i'm so sorry for mark every day because my son has so much attitude and so much sass it is so me so he has two of me but you know, I, I can't, I, the way they can scare you, it's just, it doesn't feel right sometimes. Like, you know, and you're, and you're, and you have this baby and you're like, you know, you're, it's like an alien inside of you Completely. and you're feeling all of these emotions and now you're panicked about something you can't even control or see or understand. Based I hated that part. On the fraction of a percentage sometimes and I get because that's what my doctor did which I love her to death she's amazing but it was like I'm about like I'm almost like 100% certain nothing's wrong but if not there is a small percentage it could be something that's really bad and I'm like okay I don't like that percentage um and it yeah so you're right sometimes there's this, this undue panic and it's never like something you can solve in a day it takes weeks to figure out so it's like weeks of trying to tell yourself everything is fine um and then I'm just so excited for you and I'm excited that you have a little mini you cause you're pretty awesome. And so there may be some extra, <laughs> like you said, feelings in there, but that's good. Uh, I remember I was talking about some crazy pregnancy stories or labor stories, not pregnancy labor. What happened to you? In oh labor? yeah. Oh hell no. Okay. First of all, I, I, I we only wanted one kid. I don't ever want to do it again. Thankfully I'm not going to do it again. But so my pregnancy was awesome for the most part. Outside of that, the nuchal screen, I traveled my whole pregnancy. I, I did not slow down. If anything, I probably worked a little bit harder because um, I, I, was, I was trying to do more because I knew I'd have to take a little bit of time off, you know, with um, maternity leave. But at 37 weeks, I, or no, I'm sorry, 33 weeks, I went into, you know, you start going to the OB like every minute it feels like, you know, you're like, oh, hey, nice to see you again. Um, And I was in the doctor's office, felt pretty good, except I was like, I feel like I've been bitten by a million mosquitoes. 
And my OBGYN, who's awesome, but it doesn't have like the the most the friendliest bedside yep, manner. Exactly how my OB is. Yep. Yeah, she was like, "Tell me more about that." I was like, "I don't know. I itch like crazy." And she was like, "When does it? When did this start?" I was like, "You know, probably within the last forty eight hours." But it's really getting like I feel like I want to take a bath in calamine lotion. And I almost didn't say something. And for whatever reason, I said it. I, I again, I think whatever I believe in because. It turns out I had cholestasis and, you know, that's when you have excess bile salts getting into your blood and it makes the mom itch, but it can cause fetal heart failure. Oh, so if you don't induce by 37 weeks, it can, you, you're, you can, you know, you, you could lose your baby. So she's like, okay, let's go test your blood. And I was like, okay, why? You know, because <laughs> I mean, at that point you just, you're giving blood and doing things and it doesn't even matter. She's like, I think you might, I think you might have a thing. And, um, and then I got that news. So it changed everything. It changed that the fact that I, you know, thought I'd be like, you know, like every other new mom, like when you water breaks and you're going to labor and that's at 40 weeks, or, you know, or 40 plus one. And she's like, we have to induce you at 37 weeks. Here's the day you're going to go into the hospital. And I was like, why? And then it just, everything changed, you know? And so I, I traveled still, and, you know, the day I was supposed to get induced, I went into the hospital and I was like, this is going to this is going to happen. Well, it took about 52 hours, Good from, Lord. you know, <laughs> when I got there to when I finally left. I wasn't dilated at all. I, I knew it when I walked in, like it wasn't going to. I always joke that when you have a birthing plan that you should just light it on fire. 100 percent. That's what I tell people, too. So they wheel me into the operating room and I, I, mean, I have like the head of anesthesiology at the Cleveland Clinic at Fairview, like reassuring me that this is going to be okay because I'm like, I'm, I'm nuts at this point. You know, I haven't slept. I haven't eaten in like two days. I've been doing this stupid thing. The pain's happening. How do I have pain if I have like nine pounds of epidural, you know, running through? Right. So. They're like, we're going to do this. And it was the most surreal experience. You know, the, the, the OBGYN who was there is not obviously not my doctor. Is your doctor ever there when you deliver a baby? Um, so strangely, mine got to be there every time, but I don't know how. That, that is so weird. Mine wasn't. I was like, hey, great. And they were talking in the operating room about what they were going to wear to a party. <gasps> and, you know, what you don't realize is that I'm, I'm, you know, you're stretched out on the table and they, I didn't, I didn't know that whatever they had put into me, giving me more meds or whatever, it had made my, um, jaw clench and I couldn't breathe through my nose. And I was like crying because I was so panicked and like, nobody's paid attention to that. The baby comes out in like 30 seconds. It's so bizarre. And I hear this baby cry and I'm looking at Mark. I can't lift my head. And he's seeing our son and I'm like, hello, hello, but I can't open my jaw because I, it's clenched because of whatever, whatever they've given me and I can't breathe. So I'm like suffocating on a table and I'm crying. And then like they flash me, my son, and then they take him and, you know, do, they're doing this stuff. And then it's like 50 minutes are left. You, you think, okay, the baby came out. Amazing. Let's go. And you realize that they have to put you back together. Ugh. And that was wild. And so then, you know, um, but my favorite 
my, it, it, it is a horror story of horror stories to me because nothing, nothing felt right. Um, except for they wheel you into the re- the recovery right after you get out of the operating room. And it's like, you're only there for maybe half an hour and they give you your son. And these two nurses for I'll forever remember the faces was like, Oh my God, he is so cute. And I looked at them and I'm all like on all the meds. And I'm like, I bet you say that to all the new moms. <laughs> and they're like, Nope. When they're ugly, we say happy birthday. <laughs> I was like, you win. It was worth everything for that moment. So I, like I, it, it was such a wonderful pregnancy and it was such a, a terrible conclusion in the way that I just did not, I don't know. I, I you lose control and not that being pregnant is control, but you, you, you know, you have this idea of how it could go and it was, it was wild. Um, and you know, and then you're a mom and then you're, you know, there's a, there's a whole new set of adventures that you go on with a brand new baby. Well, it's crazy. I can remember, um, and I promise I won't keep you much longer, but I remember at my son, my first, I was so like, look at me, I'm pregnant. You get the baby showers. And I'm like, labor didn't go how I thought it would go, but that's okay. We've got a baby. And then when it came, <laughs> there was this moment that I hadn't slept for like 30 hours. And then all these visitors came in. So I'm like, being like a party entertainer with my baby and everyone left and it was just me. And it, I realized, Oh wait, I'm in charge of this baby forever. Like mm-hmm. forever. I will never not be this baby's mother. And I remember like breaking down, like freaking out because I was like, I don't know how to do this. Like, why are you letting me leave? And then all like the cutesy little, Oh, I got to wear maternity clothes and I got to do this. And I got to that. Then the reality of the situation set in. And I was like, um, what, is there a manual? <laughs> Listen, you're not alone. I wouldn't change. I would not change a diaper for the first two weeks because I was so afraid of uh, the little wiener and it being all angry because he got circumcised. And so I was like, Mark, I'll feed you change. I mean, like it was like two, two and a half weeks. That's insane. But I think when you're a new mom, you're, you're, I mean, your body just went through trauma. Even if it goes totally smoothly, it's, it's so trauma. Cool. You've been through nine, ten months of trauma, and now you're dealing with a whole new thing. And, you know, and hormones. <laughs> and, oh, and hormone. I mean, it's just so wild. You know, but I will tell you, um, it, 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 everyone's like, but it's so worth it. When I was uh, being wheeled to the operating room, they were like, you can just schedule, you, you know, you have a C-section. Now you can just schedule your next child. Like it, t- like you, you have such an advantage. And I was like, there is no next child. You, you terrible people. Um, but cause I was just in such a mood, but you know, one of my favorite things about, uh, I have to share two, I guess I have to share two stories with you and then I will stop talking about Dublin. Um, Dublin um, wasn't supposed to be named Dublin. He, we labored over his name and we came to this moment where we're like, we've got it. His name is going to be Connor, C-O-N-O-R, the Gaelic spelling, Dublin, D-U-B-I-L-N, Sal's giver. And then we sat there in all of our glory. And then I went, oh my God, that's not his name. And Marcos, why not? I go, because I work in a music business and his initials cannot be CDs. Okay. It just can't happen. (laughs) 
<laughs> and Mark was like, oh my God. So that's why he's Dublin Connor sales giver. And um, I came back from maternity leave early because we were, we were releasing a new Metallica album and I really wanted to be a part of it. So the first person I played um, hardwired to self-destruct for um, was Dublin at a very young age. He was my first person to hear new Metallica. So he's, um, He's, he's a little music baby and he's mine. And I'm very, very, very lucky to be home with him, even though it's the weirdest of times, but he's going to be very confused when I leave again, because we've had a lot of fun. You know, I, uh, I agree with you. I've gotten to have almost like two back to back maternity leaves. I was only back to work just shy of two months when I got put back on quarantine. So I've gotten to have this amazing time with my daughter. Um, my older two kids, they've never had me home this long ever because they clearly don't remember my maternity leave. Um, and so since they've been born now, almost seven and five years, they don't know me home for two months straight, three months straight. So while it's going to be nice to get back to normalcy or whatever that means at some point, it's going to be such an adjustment for the kids um, because now they've gotten oh, yeah. a new routine for them. But I'm just, that's what I keep reminding myself. Literally, I can hear my five-month-old screaming in the background right now and because it's milk time. <laughs> and I'm like, I am still thankful for this time. Uh, without the breaks, without with all the multitasking on top of it, there still is some beautifulness to this piece as well. Um, a new adventure, just of a much more sweatpants-filled variety. Um, but... I'm so glad I got to talk to you. You've always been such a wonderful friend of mine, a mentor of mine, a coworker in so many ways. But more than that, you and I were also just friends too. And it went beyond just like the music side, but it did get to a friendship side, which is why I'm so glad I talked to you today. You've got such a wonderful career, a wonderful family, a beautiful son, and just overall a great outlook. And I'm glad that I've met you and that I've known you now for 14 years. Listen, I'm proud of you. I met an intern who was really motivated and aggressive. And look what you've built. Look at your life. Look at your family. I feel like um, special people are lighthouses and we always have to keep them so we know where we're going.